I am Lauren Besky, and you are listening to The Woven Women. We are a touring multimedia arts initiative that gives a voice to women around the world. Through sound stories and photography portraits, we create immersive exhibitions where communities can come together and hear the stories of local women. Welcome to the first chapter of The Woven Women. Starting our journey in New Zealand, Aotearoa, this first chapter focuses on the stories of four Māori women, and it is called Wahini, which means women in Te Reo Māori, the Māori language. You know, never ever bow down to anybody. Stand up, your mana whenua. We have a power that most of us don't even realise is there. I think she showed me what it looks like to be a successful Māori woman. Mana Wahini is the ultimate. And Wahini is, is Wahini. <laughs> In this first episode, we meet Nawaina Joy, who was raised by her grandmother, aunties and uncles. In this episode, she recounts how her whanau, or family, spoiled her growing up. Not with wealth, but with love. From watching her grandmother weave to stories about kai, or food, Joy was always surrounded by the comforts of her heritage. But it wasn't until she was in her late 20s that she fully awakened to her identity as a Māori woman. We carry a lot as Māori women, but in saying that, we can lead to change as well. Yeah, change is needed for those following behind. This episode was created for the exhibition Wahini, which is currently open in Founders Heritage Park in Nelson, New Zealand, until the 16th of February 2020. In a few weeks, once the exhibition has finished, I will be releasing a longer recorded version of each woman's story for those of you who want to dive deeper into their worlds. I will also put the four photographic portraits that featured in the exhibition on our website to enhance that connection. So if you would like to see them, head over to thewivenwomen.org in a couple of weeks. That's enough from me. Now, let's immerse ourselves in Wahini, chapter one of The Woven Women. Welcome, Nawaina Joy. Thanks for this idea, son. It's a cool idea. Oh, I haven't been out here in ages. It's tradition for grandparents to raise grandchildren. So, uh, as a 12 month old, I uh, went to live with my grandmother in Taranaki and I was raised with her till I was about six and a half years of age. Even though I was very young when she passed, uh, my life with her is still very strong in my memory and my connection to my grandmother remains strong to this day. Very much of my adult life has now mirrors her life, so that's how much influence she has had on me. And I often feel that she is 
guiding my pathway in many ways. That short time of my life was intended uh, and integral to what I do today. She was a native speaker, very active in her community. She was also uh, an avid weaver. I have fond memories of just spending hours watching her weave. I was quite fascinated and I remember thinking, wow, that's just magic. As I watched her extract the fibre from the flax leaf, weaving whariki, um, and the sounds when she would prepare the harakiki, I remember her holding the bunch of the prepared strands and slapping it on the ground and just the noise it made, the memories of the smell of the harakiki in the house. So my grandmother taught me to crochet, she taught me to macrame, but when it came to weaving, I watched more than I worked. But I do remember she was working on a kite, a basket, and she had put it down and went to go cook kai, cook our dinner. And by that point, I had convinced myself that I can weave. I had watched her long enough. So while I thought she wasn't watching, I took the basket and I attempted to weave. I remember hearing her say something to my auntie and the words was look look at that girl and it became an obsession you can't have that blank background why not you working welcome to my world recording from my perspective i had uh, an amazing childhood, this large whānau that I was part of, and it didn't matter which whānau member I was with, as long as I was with them, I was happy. This is the, the day in life of Auntie Joy. <laughs> the nephews, the uncles, the cousins. I was very spoiled. Uh, spoiled with love, not with material things, because we, we never had wealth in how we see wealth today. So... My aunties and uncles raised me like I was their own child. So during that period, I, my mother visited uh, over the years, and I often talked to her over the phone. So that was kind of my early memory of my mother. My mother's generation practised the traditions or the tikanga that they were raised with. So we weren't so much said, oh no, that's girls' work, and oh no, that's boys' work. It was just done, if that makes any sense. So, but when I reflect back... Did you make me a toast? There were definitely clear distinctions in the kitchen when it came to the male-female. As a child, I wasn't necessarily conscious that, oh, auntie's doing that because that's what the girls do. How I consciously became aware is how they fed me. So when I visited the uncles, they would always be shelling the kaimoana, the seafood, the shellfish. So that's who I would go to when I was hungry. And the aunties were in the kitchen doing different foods. Maybe it was the fry bread or the Māori bread. And again, when I wanted that food, I knew what my aunties were going to uh provide for me.
As a young child, when my grandmother lived, where we lived, the house on the corner was the schoolhouse where the principal lived. And anyway, um, they had a daughter. They moved in, they had a daughter. Her and I were roughly the same age. And so often when she'd come out to play and I was out, we would, you know, um, instantly draw to each other. And I remember one particular day... She said to me, I'm not allowed to play with you anymore. I must have been four, but I remember this. And I must have asked, oh, why not, or something like that. And she said, because you're a Mary, and Mary's have nits, and I'm not allowed to play with you because that's what you'll give me nits. So I didn't even know what nits were. So I had to ask my grandmother what were nits. And... Uh, which are kutu, <laughs> that's the name for head lice, and that's why she wasn't allowed to play with me. So, you know, I had no idea what was really happening, um, but what I do know is what I felt in my puku, what I felt in my stomach. Until Māori or the Māori world, when a young girl has her mate or her menstrual cycle starts, what we did learn is that you didn't go into the garden, you didn't gather food or into the ocean or into the waters during that period of time when you were menstruating. So those are the types of things that we have continued uh, since my grandmother's generation. In 1996, we had a whānau reunion in Taranaki, and that triggered a reawakening for me to embrace my taha Māori, my Māori identity, and being Māori. I would have been about 29, 28, 29 at that stage, and these things were coming my way. My cousin was visiting, who was very immersed, who had the language, um, he was inspiring me and reminding me, you know, because I was saying to him, I don't know anything Māori cars. And he was like, you know more than you realise. Um, you just don't know because he was looking at me. You were the you were the cousin of Nana. What, and you don't know anything? You Have you any idea what you had? Because I never had that. But until he started to remind me that, I didn't see that as me having any te reo or language. To me, that was just how you normally spoke. He started to plant the idea in my mind that you should get a mokokowai cause. And at that time I was like, oh, not, hell no. You have to be superwoman, literally. You have to speak the language. You've got to be able to do everything. Cook fry bread, whatever. But you've got to have it all in one package. So that's that was the mentality at that period. Because by then, they were just like ancient photographs. That's something that happened a long, long time ago. No one does that anymore. And then we started to see it more. And, and then I started to think, actually, I think they're beautiful. And the more I saw, the more the idea of wearing one one day became appealing. And that, that was quite huge for Māori women 
to step into that space because you then become very conscious of the prejudice and the racism. But the difference today is if someone does behave in a way that I feel is um, biased or prejudiced or racist, I'm able to address it in a way that I couldn't when I was younger. Yeah. And then there was a conversation with my mother and I asked my mum and my mum said no. I was gutted that she said no, but I recognised that my mother was still struggling with her colonisation as a Māori woman of her generation. And so, so I understood where her belief system was coming from. We mum got sick, actually. I literally just gave my service to my mother to nurture and love her and take care of her in her dying days. So it was a really healing time for her and I. It was a beautifully healing time. And regardless of our history, it was all made up. And we had another conversation about the Kauai. And what she did say to me is, wait until I pass and you have my full blessing. That was her just just holding on to, I'm still your mother, I still have a say. And, and for me it was like, absolutely mum. Um, and I was happy to respect that request. We carry a lot as Māori women, but in singing that, we can lead to change as well. Yeah, change is needed for those following behind. I think about the power we have as a Māori woman, and I say that in the physical and spiritual realms we have a power that most of us don't even realise is there. One thing I've learnt is as I get older and who I think I am changes in time in my journey. I haven't talked a lot about some of my own personal deeper experiences uh, but know that I have had my struggles and my challenges and my pains and my hurts throughout life. There's a hardness to me as well, but most people will meet the softer side first, yeah. You know you've pissed me off if the hard side comes out. (laughs) I'm only human. (laughs) But it comes out a lot more controlled than um, maybe uh, 10 years ago, yeah. And in another 10 years... Maybe it'll be better balanced. <laughs> yeah. Okay, me and Auntie, love you. Love you too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was just incredible. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Before I leave you, I want to share what a wonderful learning and human experience this project has been. I feel so blessed that these inspiring women welcomed me into their lives and I am forever grateful that they allowed themselves to be vulnerable to me and to you. So if you like this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with your friends or shouted about it on social media. And don't forget to use the hashtag TheWivenWomen. 
I would also be very grateful if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite app. That all helps a lot in ranking this show and making it more accessible to the rest of the world. And if you have any comments or questions, just leave a comment below. And make sure you subscribe to the Woven Women podcast today so you can hear the longer version of all four women's stories once the exhibition has finished. You can do so on our website in the podcast section on thewivenwomen.org. Next week, we will hear from Cindy Teata, who has an incredibly emotional story to share. Teata means the dawn, the emergence, the awakening, which in some ways I feel like I've been part of with my family, with myself. and The, the crappy life that I went through, I think I earned that name pretty much, and that's what I said to my family, you know. It was, a, it was an awakening that I had to go through at the time. Trust me, I still get chills every time I listen to it. So don't miss that. Until then, kia ora, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>